This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I am your host, Wayne Utley. The mission of our podcast is to bring common sense to our listeners on the topics that affect them every day. Subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. If you don't give us any stars, I can assume I'm doing it correctly. We are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Pandora, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, yes, and we're still working on Apple. Uh, you can support the podcast at Cash App or sell all the information is on the site. Uh, today, we're going to talk about all the ills and shout out to President Jimmy Carter, who was placed in hospice. Uh, let's get started. podcast is why don't Republicans want to stop gun violence yes it is all-star Sunday today is February 19th I'm your host Dwayne uh, yes subscribe rate review the common sense party podcast where we get your podcast and as I stated today we start off with sad news Jimmy Carter's uh, entered the hospice care if no one knows what that means that means that no more medical treatment is needed. He's going to rest until he goes on to the next plane of existence. Uh, the question is, was he a great president uh, during his presidency? I don't think so. He was like a lame duck. Only served one term, but he was the most philanthropic, philanthropical, philanthropical president of our era, because. He lived off his farm and he did Habitat Humanity. Check it out. Joe Torres. And I'm Sandra Bookman. We're going to begin this evening with breaking news. Jimmy Carter has entered hospice care at his home in Georgia. A statement from his charity, the Carter Foundation, Carter Center rather, has said the former president decided not to seek any additional medical intervention. There's no mention of specific health problems. Carter, now 98, previously battled liver cancer. That disease also spread to his brain. In a statement, the Carter Center said, quote, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter today decided to spend his remaining time at home with his family. That includes Rosalind, his wife of 77 years, who is now 95. We, of course, will continue to follow the former president's health along with any updates from his family. We will bring you those both on air and online at ABC7NY. 
Yeah, man, the man is 98, and he's going to call it a career. Uh, being with his wife for 77 years, that's just great. Because, uh, yes, he was a president. I think it was the governor of Georgia. And he... He was over the where the hostages got killed, and I don't understand. Well, I do understand, but he he was. I lost my train of thought, but he was one of those, I guess, hopeful presidents. I guess is what it is. Like he wanted to bring. I think gas prices were high or low during his presidency. And I was just insane. And then I do I hope he gets the help he needs because he is... He's a good man. He did Habitat for, Habitat for Humanity for like 50 years. And God bless him. He's a Democrat and... He just got a raw deal. Alright, moving on. Texas Governor Abbott is putting on a show for people about the gun stuff he's doing. Let's listen to this guy in the Minus Touch Network. Well, folks, we've had another mass shooting here in El Paso. And my lousy governor's doing nothing about it. We're headed down to the Custom Pond so we can talk about it. This is very not safe for work. This is very not safe for works YouTube. I have warned everybody, do not limit this damn video. I am telling you right now, this is not safe for work or meant for the little kitties or anything. So, you know, my governor, my governor, Greg Abbott, sent out a tweet that says, Hey, you know what? I've told people in the Department of Public Safety to cooperate with the mayor of El Paso. I've done something. I've done something. You know, bullshit. Bullshit. We've had a mass shooting. The, the Department of Public Safety, Safety, if you don't know, here in the state of Texas is our state troopers. Of course they're going to cooperate with the mayor of El Paso. They're going to do that automatically. That's their job. And I got this lousy frickin' governor who does nothing. Does frickin' nothing. I mean, literally, thoughts and prayers. That's all this fucker's good for. Thoughts and prayers. Bullshit! We need a governor that does something. You know, this guy has done nothing about the border. Nothing. He talks about it constantly and has done nothing but sit here and try to take credit for Joe Biden's work. You know, all those fentanyl seizures, all those people that they're catching coming across the border, those are all federal agents. That has nothing to do with my lazy, lousy, weak governor. He is weak of mind, he is weak of body, he is weak of character, and I do not understand why people in Texas vote Republican. You know, I, I, I know you are not that stupid. I talk to you. You can reason this shit out. He is doing nothing. He's going to do nothing about this shit, and it's so enraging. I am a commentator, people. That's what I do for a living. I'm a commentator. I talk about shit 
that's going on. I'm trying to get information on this latest shooter for you, but I'm having a hell of a time because it's getting all mingled in with the last mass shooting that we had. You know, I'm following great journalists so that I can bring their information, pull it all together and bring it to you and say, look what these people found. I'm having a hell of a time because the last mass shooting in El Paso is interfering with me getting information. It's that fucking bad. And you know what my governor did about the last mass shooting? Not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. You know, I mean, didn't even bother to say, don't do that. You know, I mean, didn't come out and he said, don't do that. The bare, the bare minimum, don't shoot people. He's too scared to even say that. He's weak, people. He is weak. He will not tell people. You know, you know people... I love my guns. I hunt. I love my guns. I, I, I do. I do. I like to shoot just for the fun of it. But I know I'm going to have to put up with regulations because you people are ruining it. You know, you're talking about your Second Amendment solutions and all that idiocy. Trying to pretend like you're going to fucking do something. And you're going to do nothing but walk around with a damn gun on your hip. Like the damn psychopaths you are, pretending to be, you know, some sort of, you know, militia police force or bullshit like that. You're insane. You're nobody. You're less than nobody because you're a goddamn psycho walking around Walmart with your damn guns on your hip. Jesus Christ, people. And you know, it doesn't stop here in Texas. You know, you got Meatball Ron down in Florida who does nothing for his people. Not a damn thing. Who, what does he do? He punches down on kids. I'm going to take your books away. He punches down on immigrants that can't fight back that were never in his damn state. Because he's weak, people. He's weak. He is too weak to stand before the people and tell them what's going on and the uncomfortable things that have to go on to fix it. I mean, you want to know how weak they are? The government said, hey, gas stoves, eh, open flame in the house. Houses are real tight. We build them really good these days. You need you need to you know either really ventilate that well or you know think about getting an induction stove if you can. And it melted. Meatball Ron melted all over the fucking stove. Because he's useless. He's useless. Did he tell his people, hey, you know what? These builders these days are building these houses real tight. They don't breathe really well. Maybe an open gas flame in your house ain't the best idea. You know, if you're going to buy a new stove, why don't you get an induction? Or make sure at least your house is real well ventilated. Did he do that? No, he didn't do his fucking job. He fought a fictional fight. He created a fictional fight with the with the with the goddamn federal government. The federal government's like, "What are you talking about? We're not coming for your stoves." What what the hell is this idiot talking about? But old Ron's like, "I'm a tough guy. 
I'm a tough guy. I detected your stove. And They're so fucking weak they invent bullshit fictional fights. And then when something really does happen, like up in Ohio, Mike DeWine is a freaking idiot. He's a freaking idiot. His response to the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, was just criminally negligent. Just criminally negligent. Setting that shit on fire and letting it burn. Jesus Christ. And then... Then... You've got these toxins that are hitting the Ohio River now. Yesterday they found... They, they found... They took samples and, and these chemicals have made it all the way to the Ohio River now. And this dumb, ignorant, weak... Son of a bitch Republican. Sorry, no good little twerp. Turns around and says, you know, in some theatrical bullshit, but Joe Biden called me said, you know, we need any help. We don't need any help from them. Bullshit! You need the EPA all fucking over that because you're too stupid to tell your people that the EPA cleans up messes. That's what the EPA does. It doesn't just pass out regulations. You know, when a mine shuts down, uh, you know, it's full of toxic fucking... Who do you think cleans that up? Who do you think cleans that up? The EPA does. You ignorant bastard screwing your own people. And he knows better. He knows fucking better. He's protecting this damn company. From nobody. The federal government's not coming after this company. All they're going to do is tell them to put ECP braking systems on their trains, which they don't want to do, which Republicans suck their ass, and tell them they don't have to do screw the people. ECP braking systems, if you don't know, it's just an air brake system. It keeps the brakes off the the, the the, the surface, you know, you'd like you'd see in a truck a big drum on a train is different. You know, it, it keeps the brakes off, and if something turns, you know, happens like, oh, I don't know what derailment! Those airlines, the pressure of the airlines broken, and the brakes slam on, and the rest of the train stops instead of flying off the fucking track. Why don't, why don't the rail companies want to do this? Because it's not cheap! It means retrofitting rail cars, and that's not cheap. It means the new rail cars have to have real braking systems that aren't from the fucking Civil War. I mean, we're talking about Civil War technology on these trains. It's about time you started electing people that aren't fucking Republicans that have the balls to tell you that we are not in last century. We're in the century before that in our technology, and we need to do the work to fix it. You know, infrastructure, that took Democrats and Joe Biden to get that done. Those bridges that are 50 years overdue for replacement, Democrats had to do that because Republicans are weak. All they want to do is run to you and say, oh, oh we're going to cut your taxes. Mr. Johnny Got Rocks, Mr. Billionaire, we're going to cut your taxes. And then they run to their people and tell them, you know, if Johnny Gottrocks has enough money, you know, he might give you a job and you can earn a little. Screw that. That doesn't work. 
It's been proven not to work since the last century. Vote Democrat, people. Vote Democrat. And help me get this message out. Hit the subscribe button. Just do it. Just hit the subscribe button. Trust me. I love you folks. This is old Texas Paul out. The best part of what? All right. Texas Paul on the Midas Touch Network. He touched a lot of topics we're going to talk about, uh, touch today, including Ohio. Yes. Republicans, all, all they want to do is make rich people richer. And I've always said from the time I started this podcast, people with power will not give up power willingly. You'll have to pry it from their dead hands. So I think that's what they want to do, is to just pry it from their dead hands. Uh, but, yep, there was a shooting in Texas, and what's his name? Um, Abbott. Abbott, um... Oh, that's a fine. I've been fired. Getting fired all day. Abbott has been um, touting that he he did something which he didn't because the mayor can contacted um, the federal agencies what they usually do for help, and that's what set him off. So the crazy thing about it is. People still vote them in by a landslide. We gotta educate people on what those people are doing. They're taking their money and and not helping the the people. They're only helping the one or two percent. Uh, as he stated, you can subscribe. Rate review this podcast so we can get the message out so we can get the common sense to people so they can use common sense. All right, moving on to our next story. Our next story is the governor of Virginia is following um, Ron DeSantis in trying to take a look at AP courses, studies, and they're attacking the schools. Check it out top high schools didn't tell students about a big achievement that would have really changed their lives out of fear for hurting the delicate sensibilities of kids that didn't get the award from the Daily Mail. Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology came under fire after parents learned it had intentionally handed out awards for commended students from the National Merit Scholarship Corporation two months later than was typical and too late for many students to note the accomplishment on their college applications. Shawana Yashar's son was one of the kids who did well on the test, but didn't know it and joins us now. You you blew the whistle on this. Uh, it, as I understand it, you talked to the director of student service um, about this, and he said uh, he didn't want the kids who didn't get it to feel badly about themselves. Are, are you sure he wasn't joking? No, I wish that he was. I mean, I had a really long conversation with him about it, Brandon Kasaka, and he said that they were specifically looking for a time to hand out these awards when the kids who didn't receive it wouldn't feel so bad about not getting the rewards. And I just, it, it made no sense to me, Leland. I didn't understand why he would do that. 
And so I asked him, like, what, what was your purpose for doing this? And he said, well, these kids know already that they're really smart. The universities know that they're smart. These kids go to a magnet high school. It's, you know, consistently ranked number one high school in the country. They, they don't need to have these particular awards on their applications. Well, that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me either. Because how do you know what colleges are looking at, you know, and, and yeah. what might distinguish you from one other great student in another school? The, the Fairfax County Public Schools... Uh, that that runs Thomas Jefferson. You're right. One of the top public high schools in the in the country uh, paid four hundred fifty thousand dollars for an equity uh, contractor um, uh, during during this time. You think about the timeline. September sixteenth, the principal notified two hundred forty students recognized as commended or semifinalists and told to give students as soon as possible. Uh, all other students nationwide were given the certificates in September. Mid-October, the principal received certificates after postage issues, signed certificates within 48 hours, and it wasn't until November 14th that your son and others uh, got this. Uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, do you think it was punitive by them uh, that they were trying to, to hurt your kids, or is it that they're trying to protect these other kids? I, I think they were trying to protect the other kids, um, and I just think that that was just short-sighted. But, you know, it also doesn't make sense, Leland, because they've been handing out these awards at Thomas Jefferson High School since national merit existed. Um, and this particular director of student services has been handing out these awards for 15 years. He has a process and a procedure in place that he's been using. My question is to him and to the administration is when did it change and why did it change? And that's one of the things that the superintendent, she had a meeting at town hall last night with parents that she said that she's going to get to the bottom of and try to figure out it with the investigation. But also um, Attorney General Jason Yaris is also doing his own investigation into this issue to find out exactly why they stopped giving these awards to kids as promptly as they should. I never had to worry about getting any of these awards as a student, so um, I, I was always in the, the 20% that made the 80%, top 80% possible, but hey, um, th that's, that said, it was, it was always nice to celebrate the kids who, who did do well, and it's important to do. Here's the Virginia Lieutenant Governor uh, on this. Take a listen. I'm astounded, and if these allegations are true, you know, I, I'm just livid. I am hopping mad because imagine as a parent you tell your child son study hard daughter work hard do well this is what these children are trying to do and how dare some of these educators keep these children's uh, future in, in in jeopardy like this this is not the way this is not america fairfax is where a lot of the the fight by parents uh began during covid lockdowns obviously that's what brought in the new lieutenant governor and governor uh, in Virginia, but I'm, I'm still wondering, how could this policy change without the school board or somebody oh, above the principal allowing it? And, and Leland, what I understand is that it's up to each individual principal to decide how to hand out these awards. So Thomas Jefferson High School did get a new principal in 2017. I'm not sure if that's when this process changed or, or if it changed before that, but that's something that we're hopeful that the Attorney General investigation is going to find out. Yeah, we've, we've got a picture of... Uh, Principal Anne, and I'm not going to even butcher her last name. So uh, there, there you go. Well, she, she's welcome to come on anytime. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, thank you. Come come back and let us know what you find out, all right? Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thanks. Yeah, well, we appreciate your time, and I know your kids appreciate you fighting for them. Thank you, man. All right. So the governor of, or the lieutenant governor, is trying to figure out about tests to hurt kids' feelings. Stop trying to be these kids' friends. I don't understand that. Why are you trying to 
make them not feel bad. It should motivate them. If it doesn't motivate them, that's their problem. Then do your job and motivate the kids. I don't understand. Well, why? Why is that? Why? Why do podcast parents have podcast kids? Somebody let me know. All right, moving on to our next story, Fox News. How much trouble is Fox News in? Check it out. Good evening from Washington, D.C. I'm Mehdi Hassan, in for Chris Hayes. Earlier this week, Senate Republicans grilled President Biden's nominee to the Federal Communications Commission for the third time. They have been trying to derail her confirmation, claiming that she is too far to the left and too critical of Fox. You said, quote, for all my concerns about Facebook, I believe that Fox News has had the most negative impact on our democracy. It is state-sponsored propaganda. Do you still believe Fox News is state-sponsored propaganda? These are your words. What about Fox News is state-sponsored? You know, you talk a lot about private actors. Last I checked, Fox News is not part of the government. Yes, how dare anyone suggest that Fox was similar to state-run propaganda during the Trump administration? How could you possibly believe that when Fox spread Donald Trump's big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him, culminating in a bloody attack on the Capitol by people who believed that story? If you're a Trump voter and you suspect that this election was stolen, was rigged, you're onto something. The 2020 presidential election was not fair. No honest person would claim that it was fair. The Dominion software, I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. Let's put it mildly. Companies called Dominion Voting. Dominion came under heavy fire after allegations that their machines caused thousands of votes in one Michigan county to be switched from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. And now we have new evidence showing that Fox knowingly, willingly, recklessly spread those lies that led to the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. This comes, by the way, of a defamation lawsuit against Fox from that company you heard mentioned, Dominion Voting Systems. They make voting machines used around the country that Fox regularly suggested were part of a made-up conspiracy to rig the 2020 election against Donald J. Trump. And in a stunning new filing, they reveal messages and testimony from Fox hosts and executives discussing that the things they were saying on air about the election were total nonsense. Tucker Carlson called the claims and the guests pushing them, quote, ludicrous and totally off the rails. Sean Hannity called them effing lunatics. Producer John Fawcett called them complete BS. And Fox Corporation Senior Vice President Rod Shah said they were, quote, mind-blowingly nuts, in all caps. Behind the scenes, Fox personalities were unequivocal about the truth. Two days after the election, Chief Political Correspondent Brett Bayer said privately, quote, there is no evidence of fraud, none. The following week, Tucker Carlson wrote in a private message that Donald Trump needed to concede the election, and he agreed that there wasn't enough fraud to change the outcome. Carlson also made it very clear to his colleagues, in private, what he thought of Donald Trump's lawyer, Sidney Powell, who was publicly pushing his big lie all over Fox. He told fellow host Laura Ingram, quote, Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Ingram replied, Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Referring, of course, to another Trump lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Carlson said, quote, it's unbelievably offensive to me. Our viewers are good people. 
And they believe it. In various other instances, Carlson referred to Powell as a crazy person, lunatic, unguided missile, dangerous as hell, nutcase, and poison. And in one text message to his producer, even called her, quote, an effing bee. Chum. In testimony, Sean Hannity also said that he knew Sidney Powell was spewing lies. Quote, that whole narrative that Sidney was pushing, I did not believe it for one second. But this new information clarifies one of the reasons why Fox personalities continue to spread the nonsense that they knew was not true. They were afraid of losing their audience to the likes of Newsmax. See, the truth was not appealing to their Trump-loving viewers. In one instance, Tucker Carlson went as far as to demand that the company fire a Fox reporter who fact-checked a tweet from Donald Trump mentioning Dominion voting machines. He texted Sean Hannity, quote, Please get her fired. Seriously, what the F? I'm actually shocked. It needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. They took their complaints to Fox executives, and by the next morning, that Fox reporter had deleted her tweet. And we know that those executives, by the way, were well aware of the choices they were making. According to the court filing, the senior vice president and managing editor of the Washington, D.C. bureau, Bill Salmon, said privately, quote, it's remarkable how weak ratings make good journalists do bad things. It went all the way up to Fox Corporation chairman Rupert Murdoch himself, who told the CEO of, quote, unquote, Fox News, that Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell's lies on their network were, quote, terrible stuff, damaging everybody, I fear. On another occasion, he referred to the Trump myth that the election was stolen. And on November the 16th, according to this filing, Murdoch wrote, quote, Trump will concede eventually and we should concentrate on Georgia helping any way we can. Let's say that again. Helping any way we can. We don't want to antagonize Trump further, but Giuliani taken with a large grain of salt. Everything at stake here. So let's be clear. Of course Fox is a propaganda outlet. They wanted to help Republicans win their next races, the special Senate elections in Georgia. Fox is not a news channel. It certainly is not fair and balanced. It is actively working to further the agenda of the Republican Party. You don't have to take it from me. Take it directly from Rupert Murdoch. Thank you, NBC. Yes, uh, a corporation willingly in spreading information from a political party. What does that sound like? Sounds like Russia. Uh, they are openly lying to the millions of people who who watch them every day. And again, I won't. Uh, I won't put all the blame on Fox because. They're the ones not doing the information to, to fact check to make sure everything is right. But guess what? Since the Republicans are not, well, the Republicans are in control of the House. They won't call them down to testify. They won't open an investigation, and that's what the House does. The House opens an investigation, and whenever that, it recommends to other branches of government so that's why we have a three-party system and they will not absolutely not during this i guess this is a lame duck session because they have the house they don't have the senate they don't have the white house so we have to get people out so we 
get all three branches of government under the Democrats so the small guy can the small guy can um prosper like I always say whenever there's a Democrat in the house uh, I always make money uh, let's listen to Bo well howdy there internet people it's Bo again so today we are going to uh, talk about Fox and truth and lies and tools and how uh, you may be able to use something that a lot of people don't uh, see as going anywhere. If you missed it, there was a filing that included a whole bunch of quotes from major figures over at Fox News. And these messages, the, the quotes come from messages that were made in private, um, talking about all of the baseless claims, all of the lies about the 2020 election, and how the major figures at Fox viewed those lies. Um, totally off the rails was one of many, many, many quotes. It, it paints a pretty clear picture of an outlet where a whole lot of people did not believe what was going on the air, what was going out to people. Now this is all part of Dominion's case against Fox and part of the coverage in almost any time I've seen it includes that it's pretty unlikely that Dominion win because defamation in the United States, it's incredibly hard to prove. It has a very high bar. So, people have asked about it and basically said, you know, is this worthless? You know, it, it seems really convincing. How can it be worthless? And that word is showing up. Worthless. Oh, it's not worthless. It is not worthless at all. Dominion may not win their case, um, but it's not worthless. Because it gives you a tool. It gives you a tool to reach out to your family members, to people in your life, who believe everything they see on Fox. Those quotes, and I'm not going to go through and list them all, because I do think it's actually important that people read them. I will take and put a link to an article down below um, that has some of it in it. But the coverage is just... Expansive and all of the coverage picks different quotes. It's worth looking at, and it's also worth finding out which outlets outside of Fox that your family members, your loved ones, would accept, would accept information from. Because using an outlet of their choosing and their coverage of it, and just showing them the quotes, just showing them what was going on behind the scenes at, at the time all of this information was going out, it really might be something that can be used to break them away. It can kind of bring them back to reality. Um, it may not help Dominion win their case, but it's not worthless. It, it can help in other ways. It's a tool that you can use to reach out to people. Um, so, after you review it, 
You know, find out what your uncle on Facebook. Find out what what sources he might accept. You know, whether it's CBS or NPR or whatever. Um, and then go get their coverage of it. And make sure that he sees it. And go through the quotes with them. You know, and just point out how, I mean, they didn't believe Giuliani. They didn't believe a lot of the stuff that they were putting on the air. And while it may have nothing to do with the 2020 election anymore, um, you know, they may just view that as something in the past that they want to turn the page on, quote, because that's what they've been told. It, it might help them, it might help them move to a point where they don't just accept everything that is read off of a teleprompter over on Fox. It might help them move to a point where they start to widen their their information sources. And it might help you get a family member back. So, will that filing, as convincing as it may seem, will that guarantee Dominion win? No. no. It's a very high bar that they're going to have to overcome. But it's not worthless. And they did a whole lot of the work for you to reach out to one of your family members. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. We appreciate you both from the fifth column. Uh, This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host. Host Wayne Notley. This is NBA All Star Sunday. The Common Sense Party's mission is to bring common sense to our listeners in the effect, in the topics that affect them, in their everyday life. So please subscribe, rate, review where you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us, give us five, give us four, give us three, give us two, give us two stars. Because if you don't get us any stars, I will just assume that I'm doing it correctly. Uh, we are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Pandora, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and yes, we're still working on Apple. Uh, yes, subscribe to us, unfollow, resubscribe, try to get us this message out to everyone. And please, let's bring common sense to everyone. Everyone who needs it, because we really do need it right now. now we're going to go to did you know what was the real reason for the Department of Education since it's uh, Black History Month let's go ahead and go ahead and enlighten some people I didn't really know this is what they did for the Department of Education but a fact check to make sure it was right it was right so in three two it's coming hold on hold on we are almost there and here we go video of a man speaking on the underground structure of the board of education Everybody's been talking about school and education. 
Well, etymology, the word education comes from the word educere, which means to bring out of you what's in you. Schools don't do that. Schools give you something and you regurgitate it back and that's how you get an A. This is called the 1902 Board of Education Act, okay? The endowment was given by John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie. They gave $30 billion. They actually owned the public school system, okay? And I'm going to read to you what their mission was. It says, prior to the late 1800s, education was private practice. It took place in private institutions or through homeschooling. That all changed in 1902 when John D. Rockefeller created the General Education Board in conjunction with Frederick T. Gates. Now, who was Frederick T. Gates? Have you ever heard of Bill? Mm. That's Frederick T. Gates is his grandfather. So this is what Frederick T. Gates said. Let me skip. Albert Einstein said, never confuse education with intelligence. John D. Rockefeller said, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of words. So at the advent of the, of the Industrial Revolution, okay, at its inception, they had to create workers in order to, to this here. I have a rare video of the... So, the rich white people uh, gave $30 million to create an industrial class in the 1900s. So, slavery, like Reconstruction time, that was then. So, uh, uh, the system has been set up set up to work against us so since it's black history month let's educate ourselves to get good people into the educational system teachers principals board of education trustees and stuff like that to as we normally do make it better for everyone because even Immigrants were under the Board of Education back then. And that was like before the Depression. Depression, when the stock collapse was like 1912. So we are trying to pull ourselves up from the bootstraps, man. So. Uh, check this out. Board into the ocean. Because of unsanitary conditions aboard a slave ship, one of the major causes of death was dysentery, which is an infection of the intestines resulting in severe diarrhea with the presence of blood and mucus in the feces. Conditions were so severe that it was reported that one could smell a slave ship a mile away on the open seas. Over the course of 400 years, dumping 1.8 million people into the ocean changed the natural migration of sharks to follow the routes of the slave ships. This was reported by sea captains, historical journals, and marine biologists. I learned this piece of history in my 11th grade advanced placement history course. Today, in the state of Florida, my history teacher would have been jailed or fined for teaching us about this section of history simply because it makes people feel uncomfortable. The more you know. Welcome to Black History Month. Yep. 
white people feel uncomfortable, black people suffer. We gotta stop that. So, that's one thing you you should learn in school. Gives you empathy. They want to take away empathy for minorities, blacks, uh, Italians, Asians, even Spanish. They work against themselves. I don't understand why, but that's what they do. Yes, they... In the 1900s, they wanted to create an industrial class, and now they want to make us less empathetic for minorities, especially blacks. Keep saying, man, they they scared of black power. If you listen to this podcast, I want you to Google or ask Siri. How many black massacres have there been in the United States history? And nine times out of ten, they massacred black people because they were affluent or moving into a higher class than they were supposed to be. So, I still say they are definitely scared of minorities mostly black people because in a couple of years black people not black people um what are they hispanics hispanics will be the hispanics will be the um majority in the country but most hispanics looks white so they'll accept a white hispanic other than a black person or a black Hispanic. But it is what it is. That's what culture is. Alright. Moving on to the grand jury in Georgia. Yes, the grand jury released a report, but it was redacted. So most likely charge will be coming soon. Hopefully it will be on Trump. And somebody did um, commit perjury. So that's why they didn't release the names. Uh, check it out. Howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today we are going to talk about Georgia and the report now that it's been released and what it means. And the big question from quite a few people, is it a nothing burger? Ah, I mean, it depends on how you quantify nothing burger, I guess. Uh, we didn't learn much. We didn't learn much beyond what we already knew. Um, that is true. There's not actually a whole lot of new information in it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, the special grand jury in Georgia that's looking into election interference during the 2020 election and all of that stuff, um, portions of the special grand jury report were released to the public. And there's not much there, but it didn't release the parts that everybody was really looking for. There are no names in it. What really matters, there's two key pieces. First is that the grand jury did determine that there was no um, widespread voter fraud that could have affected the outcome of the election or anything like that. That was a unanimous decision. And a majority of that grand jury believes that there were people who lied under oath. 
and that the district attorney should seek uh, charges. Those are the two pieces. There wasn't much there that we didn't already know, and there wasn't a lot of extra language to provide us any hints. What we have to go on is the reasoning behind only releasing part of it. Um, the reason it was released the way it was was to protect people's due process rights. Meaning, they don't want this information to go out before the people were actually indicted and had the ability to counter whatever's there. Um, releasing it too early could violate their, their due process. That would only be a concern if people were going to be indicted. The recommendations as far as indictments, um, that's not included in what was released. So, is it a nothing burger? I mean, there's nothing really new there. <laughs> there's not a lot of new information. Um, but the context of it shows that it's moving forward. Um, I would also suggest if the grand jury feels that it was lied to, um, to the degree that they're recommending the district attorney pursue charges, um, you have to wonder what they were lied to about. And what evidence made them certain that it was a lie? And what the person lying was lying about, if they were. Um, if what they were lying about was criminal activity, that would kind of track. But again, we don't know that. Um, there wasn't a whole lot there. Um, but at this point, it's, it's moving forward. Charging decisions are imminent. Again, I'm starting to believe a whole lot of people do not know what that word means um, because th this doesn't feel imminent to me. It feels like it's been dragging on a while. There are people who believe there are two rumor mills. One says the grand jury to actually indict will convene in March. The other says it's already convened. Um, I, I have no idea which one of those is true, but that's where we're at. And at this point, I don't expect any more information until the district attorney decides to make it public. Um, there were some interesting lines about protecting the due process rights, particularly of those who didn't testify um, before the grand jury. And as far as I know, there's kind of only one person that that might be directed at. He, he used to be in the Oval Office. Um, but at this point, it's going to be all speculation until the district attorney decides to either announce the intentions or comes back with an indictment or comes back and says, yeah, we can't make it stick or they really didn't do anything wrong. Um, so at this point, all eyes are on her. And I would imagine that there will start to be pressure to make a decision and make it public pretty quickly. Anyway, 
it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yeah, thank you, Bo. Like I said, charges are imminent. I don't know if it's going to be Trump. It's definitely going to probably going to be uh, maybe Giuliani if he testified. And what's the name said he he's not sure about that. Uh, Lindsey Graham, but who knows? Uh, so it's Georgia, so you know what's going down. They'll protect them up until they can't. But it's a African American AG, so she got a cover. She got a cover. Oh, excuse me. That's a fine. Cross her eyes, dot her teeth, and cover her bases. Because if she goes, you better not miss. All right. Uh, all right. Moving on. These people are still banning books for students. I need to know why are they banning books. The the students aren't scared of books. Why are they scared of books? Check it out. What's so scary about a pride flag? What's so scary about a quote from a Holocaust survivor? The school board claims that they're doing what is best for students by having a state of neutrality. But by having the so-called state, you're causing the downfall of students. Shutting out the voices of those who are scared as it is to wake up and go to school every morning is creating an uproar of discrimination. I feel every time I come to speak at a school board meeting, my voice just never seems to be heard. I can shout at the top of my lungs, and yet it seems as if no one can hear me. Policy 321 has not only limited the teacher's expression in the classroom, but has also silenced the voices of their students. Since... Okay, for our podcasting audience, Policy 321, it would prohibit teachers from displaying flags or posters advocating any political or psycho-political uh, activities and issues in the classroom. So, they're limiting the expression, freedom of expression in the classrooms. Since this policy has been put into place, I've heard a group of boys saying, let's go hunt down the gays. I've heard kids mock members of the LGBTQIA community simply because they're being who they are. I've also have found out that we might possibly lose our no place for hate certification at my school because this district is too hateful for it. This world is not filled with straight white men. There are so many different people who make this world what it is, so why are you trying to silence the voices of such Stop silencing voices. Allow them to be heard. Thank you. I am entirely perplexed by the behavior of the school board. You say that you are advocating for students, but ignore everything we say. I watch my fellow students and friends be negatively impacted by your policies, and yet you continue to pass more. This many students asking you to change the damage that you are causing is not normal. It's a school's job to teach, and have you ever. You teach us to ignore the pleas of targeted and hurtful students, and hurt students. The words of kids sharing how they feel after being ignored and mistreated. You teach us to hire the politically connected at $940 per hour and pay them six figures for one month's work. You would rather students hide who they truly are instead of expressing themselves and learning how to grow into strong, confident, leading adults. I should be with my friends or at home studying for my exam tomorrow, but I am here begging a board of people whose job it is to care for the students to do their job and actually care for the students. Behind you it says, leading the way. The direction you are leading is deeply concerning. 
A student like me, who will have 12 AP classes when I graduate, stand at the top per 1% of my class, has won numerous state and national titles for this school district, and will be attending an Ivy League institution for undergrad, is exactly the type of student that you all want to have in your schools. I didn't get to this point in my academic career by staying silent. I got to this point because of my wonderful teachers who have encouraged my learning and have provided a safe space for open dialogue. As I've said before, you all stand on the board to serve us, the students. The students are all crying out loud to you. Please consider the repercussions Policy 321 has, and remember that we are all not just members of Bucks County, but we are members of the world. Every person who has ever made a difference in our community has challenged the status quo. Policy 321 prohibits this and will prevent Central Bucks School District from creating strong and smart independent thinkers. Thank you. What's up? They want drones. They want people who don't fight back. They want people who are dumb. But one thing they don't know or they haven't calculated is these kids are 15, 16, 17, and 18. They will be voting in three to four years. And they're base is dying out they have not calculated this is a risk they're taking yes the Republican Party is taking a risk that they're going to alienate the next voting block seniors juniors sophomore freshman in high school freshman in they probably won't they probably won't alienate the white population in college because it's trying to save that but they're gonna piss off women they're gonna piss off minorities I do not understand why they're going they're going this route because they think they're trying to hold on to power and it's not gonna work that's a fine all right. Uh, the next, our uh, next thing is that a comedian roasted these. I don't think it's yeah, it's the same one in Philadelphia. So check this out. I saw a children's book where two male penguins were holding hands. Can you believe that? I think you know we need to protect. Uh, freedom and liberty, uh, democracy, and freedom of speech. And the way we do that is by banning pride flags, banning books in schools, uh, you know, you, not allowing people to say the word gay. I want, you know, we get like a schedule, you know, women need to report their menstrual cycles, all that. This is Walter Masterson, a comedian known for embarrassing right-wingers with their own logic. This was Masterson last year at a school board meeting in New York. I'm here today because um, a second grade teacher thought it was appropriate to teach my child about pronouns. Pronouns. I was taught that there were only two pronouns, but thanks to the woke left, there are now a hundred pronouns. As a patriot, I love freedom of speech. Who loves freedom of speech? You know, it's, it's, 
I love freedom of speech, um, except when it comes to pride flags in schools, teaching history. I care about children so much that I'm against the WIC program, universal pre-K, uh, any form of gun control. Now, he took the fight to the Central Bucks School Board after recent policies banned teachers from displaying pride flags and forced a librarian to remove a poster that showed a Holocaust survivor's quote. I'm here today because uh, you know, I'm very concerned about the books that uh, our children are seeing. You know, there's uh, you know, this indoctrination. There's a book called um, The Giving Tree, where this uh, tree uh, gives the child you know, whatever it wants and needs. You know, clear reference to communism. Uh, I, so I, and you know, I, you know, so I'm worried about this, you know, this indoctrination, and you know, I'm worried about our democracy and, you know, the foundation of our democracy. Now, if you look in history, you know, democracy, the concept of it was created in ancient Greece. Okay, and now in ancient Greece, you know, they uh, they created this concept of democracy. And they did they have a pride flag? No, they didn't have a pride flag because, um, you know, uh, men being with other men, I guess, was normalized. And I was, uh, it was just everywhere. Okay, where am I going with this? Where am I going with this? All right. Oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, forget that point. The, you know what? You know, and, you know, we should also ban uh, books about ancient Greece in this library as well. Just no more. I don't want to see another book on ancient Greece. We can, uh, you know, preserve, you know, our wonderful democracy, you know, and we need to stop this forced indoctrination of our students by mandating that every child, uh, you know, says the Pledge of Allegiance every morning, okay? We know, take down the pride flag. I want to put up um, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, kids should know about that because it's not just a piece of paper, it's a map that leads to a treasure of Templar gold. And that is why Nicolas Cage tried to steal it. Right? And, you know, as we, uh, you know, these liberals try to steal our Constitution, the only way to stop them is for us to steal it first. <laughs> yes, it's comedy what the Republicans are doing. In New York, in Philly, everywhere, even in Washington. Because they're trying to distract by... They're going after Hunter Biden. Which... Has no... Has no... Bearings on whatever, but... Check it out. For six minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I understand that uh, Mr. Palmer was asking some questions about some of uh, my assertions about the removal of the Ukrainian prosecutor general. Uh, first, let's be clear, I did not say that Vice President Biden fired Mr. Shokin. It was official U.S. and European policy to encourage Ukraine to fire him, which they did. But he is right about one thing. What I say is not evidence. And neither is what any of our Republican colleagues say on the other side of the aisle. They may not like what these witnesses say, but the testimony of the witnesses is the evidence, not baseless statements without firsthand knowledge. But I urge Mr. Palmer, if he wants to understand what actually happened, to read the 300-page report that we published on the first impeachment investigation. There's a lot in there about Mr. Shokin. Luckily, though, he doesn't even have to do that. You can just read the New York Post story itself. 
because in that story, Shokin admitted that he never opened an investigation into Burisma. He claims to have had, quote, specific plans to do so. Yeah, sure. For two years, Rudy Giuliani had been peddling Victor Shokin's bogus story, including with agents of Russian intelligence. Chairman Comer, if you question that, I urge you to look up Andre Derkach. So who was the sole source of the hard drive to the New York Post? Rudy Giuliani. And for these reasons, many journalists were highly skeptical. One reporter at the New York Post itself refused to put his name on the story. Fox News' Brett Baer said, quote, the whole thing is sketchy, unquote. And both Giuliani and the Post refused to give the laptop to other journalists to verify and analyze it. In fact, Giuliani told the New York Times that he hoped that it would be published before it could be verified. So what is the so-called authentication for this laptop? Well, Chairman Comer said in his opening statement that it's a subpoena to the computer repair shop owner, which happened over about a year before the New York Post story. But that is not the same hard drive that Rudy Giuliani received months later from that repair shop owner and passed along to the New York Post after he was in possession of it for several months. Now, Mr. Baker, based on your understanding of Russian malign influence campaigns, does Russian intelligence have the capacity to manipulate a hard drive? Yes. So it is possible that some of the materials on a hard drive could be authentic, and some could be altered, manipulated, or even added to the hard drive. Is that right? I believe so, yes. Mr. Roth, you have testified today that Twitter was keenly aware of the hacking efforts by Russia in connection with the 2016 election. Is that right? Yes, sir. And those efforts, I believe you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, by Russian intelligence to interfere uh, in the, our electoral process continued up and through and including the 2020 election. Is that right? Russian efforts certainly continued through the 2020 election and even through the midterms. I couldn't say specifically if it was military intelligence, as was the case in 2016, but certainly the Russian government was involved. So let's run down what Twitter knew about this hard drive and this story when it was published. First, the sole source of the hard drive was Rudy Giuliani, who had been working closely with Russian intelligence agents throughout 2020. Second, Russian intelligence interfered in the 2016 election and was actively trying to do it again. And third, numerous journalists, including at the New York Post and Fox News, raised suspicions about the hard drive and they refused to allow an independent analysis and verification of it. Now, Mr. Baker, based on your experience in law enforcement, wouldn't this give anyone concerned about Russian interference in our election serious pause? Well, I think as reflected in the public record, uh, I th at the time I thought there were great concerns on, on that side of the equation because in part with respect to all the, the things that had happened since 2016 with respect to the hack and leak or hack and dump issues, um, there, were, there were facts that indicated that the computer might have been abandoned and so on, 
but uh, which made it a very difficult case, which is why we're sitting here today talking about it. Right, and there was a 24-hour delay in, in continuing to spread the publication of it. Isn't that right? Uh, yes. Okay. You know, that is exactly what 51 former intelligence officials, many from Republican administrations, even the Trump administration, said in that letter that is being distorted by Mr. Jordan and others at this hearing. Let me quote one paragraph of what they say. We want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails provided to the New York Post by President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. Just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. And unless Twitter, like Special Counsel Mueller concluded about the Trump campaign in 2016, wanted to welcome Russian interference in an election, all of you sitting here today were entirely correct to be highly concerned about the legitimacy of this story. I yield back. Yes, they're trying to distract. They're definitely trying to distract, so I don't understand, but hey, that's the cards they want to play. All right, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I am your host, Dwayne Otley. I am an independent person. I don't rock with Democrat or Republican. The purpose of this podcast is to bring common sense. I just need someone to show me a Republican policy that helps not the 1%, the 99% of the people, not those 20 or 30 people who owns 99% of wealth in the country that helps the common person. Helps the common person every day because all my stories are trying to help the common guy. The guy who is moving check to check. Who might have four or five kids, got four or five jobs, and doesn't have minimum wage up to $15 an hour. That's the person I'm trying to help. I don't understand why people vote for people who don't look for them as their interests. Even some Democrats do that, so don't get it twisted. There are some bad Democrats, but the Republicans are so much worse. They don't care. They really don't care. They say the quiet part out loud. All right. I'm moving on to the big story of East Palestine. Because there was a trail deployment in Ohio. There's also one in Florida. So the EPA is busy. And the reason was the company was cutting corners, didn't want to ref retrofit their trains, that's why it happens. Uh, check it out. Joe Rogan experience. Now, I don't know <laughs> if, this, Fine. if they have to take additional precautions due to traveling with hazardous waste and whether or not those precautions were or were not, were not taken. That's what I'm hearing about this case, is that, they, that this is something that they were trying to cut money by transporting these things that are hazardous waste 
in a way that perhaps maybe they shouldn't have been transported that way, or maybe the regulation should be different. I don't know for, if it's even hazardous waste, though. I think it's just chemicals that we use in plastic. Oh, it's very hazardous. It's not waste. Right. Hazardous materials. Right, right. It's very yeah. hazardous material. It's I don't think it, it's the like the byproduct. Yeah. No, it's it's very dangerous materials. But that's why there's this one kid, Nick Drum, who's been doing these amazing TikToks that I'm obsessed with because it's that he's like a chemist. Yes. He, and he's great. He's great. He's actually taking what the APA is releasing and he's trying to make sense of it and he's like why am I I the person who's doing this why am I the person who's asking these questions because what he mentions is when you look at the manifest of the chemicals that were on there why what we're looking at is this they're doing you know what's in the air but also he was saying there was petroleum so we're talking about an oil spill too but no one's talking about that well let's play what he has to say rewind that Jim he has a bunch well, just let's play this one. Play the one you have in front of you. Okay. And rewind that. Um, hold on. Stop. Sound. Play. Yeah, I don't know if that's his TikTok. Yeah, it hasn't been very good. So let's talk about the trail derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. East Palestine's about an hour north of Pittsburgh, almost halfway to Cleveland. Norfolk Southern has a rail line that goes right through town, and this derailment happened right on the edge outside of town on the border of PA and Ohio. Of the cars that crashed, five of them contained vinyl chloride. It's a monomer used to make PVC. The reporting on this has gotten vinyl chloride confused with polyvinyl chloride, the polymer made out of vinyl chloride. Now, the reason that this distinction is really important is vinyl chloride is very hazardous and very flammable. Polyvinyl chloride is a plastic that's used in, like, everything. Another thing about vinyl chloride is that it boils at 8 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's shipped in its liquid form. Meaning that when these trains crashed and these started leaking, they weren't just leaking liquid, but they were spewing boiling gas. So vinyl chloride is really toxic. OSHA has the permissible limit of how much you can be exposed to it during an eight-hour shift as a one ppm part per million average over eight hours. So prior to this, the biggest spill of this chemical was in New Jersey, where one train car and about 23,000 gallons of vinyl chloride were spilled, but it didn't catch on fire. Now, this crash in Ohio has five train cars. These kinds of tanker cars can carry between 25 and 33,000 gallons. Let's call it 250 to 250,000 pounds of vinyl chloride. That's per train car, five train cars, There's maybe a million pounds of this toxic chemical spilling into the ground and also boiling off into the air. But then it caught on fire. I think this is where the reporting is really bad because no one is mentioning what the byproduct of vinyl chloride burning is. Of the many byproducts of burning vinyl chloride, one of them is hydrogen chloride. Hydrogen chloride is really unstable and latches onto water, like just water vapor in the atmosphere, and that turns into hydrochloric acid. So right now, government officials, officials from the railroad, both the governor of Pennsylvania and Ohio are calling burning off the million pounds of this stuff a success, but not mentioning that it means that we have hundreds of thousands of pounds of acid in the air, potentially. Now, ever since engineering school, I've studied a lot of industrial accidents. I just find it really fascinating, and organizations like the Chemical Safety Board, NTSB, and OSHA all have like really good reports available to the public. I think as a designer, it's really good to learn about mistakes. When looking at these kinds of industrial disasters across time, there are a couple things that are pretty universal across all of them. One, the responsible party in this coast, Norfolk Southern Railway, always plays down the reality of the situation. 
politicians also just repeat the same lines, and then news outlets just repeat the same. So all we are hearing is the responsible party's word. This hasn't been getting... So, Jamie, I also sent you a video that shows what it looks like in the area where these clouds are passing over, and it is horrific. It's apocalyptic. It's so terrible. There's a man who's on the ground who's screaming that these aren't storm clouds, that this, these are the clouds that of this shit that they're burning from East Palestine. And he's freaking out, and, you know, like... Animals are dying, pets are dying, fish are dying in the rivers. It's it, the idea that they only evacuated a small area. Yeah. Like, you're talking about like miles and miles away from this. Yeah. Animals are dying. This is it. Look at this. Play this. Go full screen with this because it's so These, aren't, these aren't storm clouds. This is the fucking shit that they burn off. The fucking shit they burn off in East Palestine. This is not fucking storm clouds. Look at this. I know. Look at it! This is over Darlington. This is fucking insane. It's if you insane. if you're just listening, what we're looking at is just intense black clouds covering this area, and it, it's daytime. Yeah. And you can't see shit. You, you the sky is completely covered in black. Play. Give me the volume. From East Palestine! They're fucking controlled burn! Yeah, it's The idea is a controlled up. burn is so crazy. Well, I guess because they were worried that it was going to explode. That's why they felt they had to burn it. But it did explode, right? Did no, it they were felt it was going to be a massive explosion. And this would have happened anyway. But there's no other option. And they, they, like in one of that kid's TikToks later on, he talks about how they just buried it. And so people are saying they did this just to get the trains running again, basically. Mm. Which, again, the cynic in me wouldn't doubt, but I don't know. I just sent you a text from um, my editor, Joe Donatelli, who I loved from Playboy. He now lives in Ohio, and he's on does local news. And I will say local news has been great on this. They're actually reporting. And he, like he said to me, you have to be able to like muster the resources, fact check things. It, it isn't as fast as the internet where there's a void of information that gets filled. And right. he did a long thread about what they've learned in his, at the local news station where he is that's really good. And I recommend people go check it out because I think local news is actually pretty good on this. But some people in Ohio are saying they didn't even know about it. There's, like, people who you'll see online, they're like, I'm in Ohio and I didn't hear about this, but maybe they don't watch local news. Yep. That's a fine. Local news is doing its job. We need to invest in local news. Local newspapers, we need to bring newspapers back. Uh, Yeah, because... They cut corners. They didn't want to retrofit their trains uh, for air brakes, and that's why that happened. And they had the big fuss with uh, the workers because they wanted to get paid time off. They want to limit how many people are on the train, and they got like 15, 16 cars for like two to seven people, and that uh, that doesn't work. So it's corporate America, corporate greed that is fucking up the environment. All right, check this out. 
for me, this is so instructive because Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the top fundraisers in the Republican Party. She's positioned herself as somebody who's going to get small donations, be closer to kind of the base than, uh, say, even a senator like J.D. Vance. And the, and the, this is the only thing that they have in response. So she starts off this thread on what happened uh, in, in East Palestine like this. Um the devastating consequences from the toxic train derailment and explosion in East Palestine, Ohio, are only beginning. Deadly chemicals are spreading far and wide through the air, groundwater, and rivers, blah, blah, blah. I don't think blame can be placed on one person or nefarious cause. I think this is a tragedy that happened because we are a crumbling nation with many causes as to why we're crumbling. So she keeps going on. It goes longer and down the thread. But here's the key part, I think. Um... Uh, no, no. Uh, I, I think this is a good forward. opportunity for uh, Biden to come back out and do a, a second bite at the apple of the infrastructure bill. Yeah, yeah. Um, shoot, I lost the train of thought. But but what's that? Yeah, but what's happening in East Palestine is probably just the beginning of more tragic events that are likely to happen to us in our crumbling nation. In the rail industry, they have been suffering from labor shortages that were exacerbated by COVID shutdowns, especially the freight industry, which is a critical piece of our supply chain that delivers foods, goods, chemicals, and fossil fuels in order for us all to survive. With labor shortages, cutting the number of rail workers on trains, it creates potentially dangerous conditions for trains and railways. The disruption in our economy, blah, blah, blah. Well, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's blaming labor is what she ends up doing here. Hold on. Well, but, but first off, the labor shortage, there's no labor shortages. Yes. They refuse to hire more people. We just saw this. Yes. We just saw this. This is what the, the, the threatened strike was about. Yep. The and threatened strike was about hire more people so that we can take sick days without exactly. uh, threat of being fired. And then, so instead of making that point, this is what the populist right offers. Here we go. If we can put this up. It's up. Okay. Not only do we have a shortage of people, we have a shortage of good values. Mm -hmm. And hard work is one of the most important good values America is losing or has lost. Think about it. How many kids do you hear say they want to be a train engineer when they grow up? I don't know. Maybe if they had sick days, yeah. they would want to be. How, how many people well, I know a lot of toddlers who like... Yeah, choo-choo. How many people you hear want to inherit their uh, parents' uh, construction business and have affairs at the CrossFit all day? But yeah, right. Maybe, uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> That's her life. There we go. Um, I mean, it just that the, she goes on and on. But I wanted to highlight that just because it's this long thread where she acknowledges the problem, the environmental disaster. It's very similar to what J.D. Vance said there. And all it comes down to is blaming the values of workers as opposed to corporate power. And that is right-wing populism distilled. And same thing with J.D. Vance. It's really just a cultural issue with Appalachia and with people in rural Ohio. C pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Stop uh, blaming others for your problems and feed, your feed into the capitalist system. That is the only thing that they offer for real problems. They'll identify it and then blame people for the problems that they face. It's interesting. It does feel like if you read this, if you read what, if you hear what uh, J.D. Vance is talking about, there does feel like there is a, almost like a redux of, of Trump's speech, his RNC 2016 speech. You remember that? Where he was talking about, it was like, almost like he was describing Gotham. Mm -hmm. Like a dark vision of the country. 
then of course like there's this vague thing that that she's arguing that it's like a lack of values is what did that train it created this uh, this uh, this train derailment now what it is is a uh, a simple failure of government to exert its authority over corporations and the protection of of corporate profits over the safety of American citizens. Period. End of story. That's what's going on here. And there's plenty of opportunity now that the Republicans control Congress. I think they should offer up a bill to add more money to the rails and maybe let's nationalize these rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's beef up the EPA. Let's beef up uh, enforcement uh, by the Transportation Department. Let's increase regulations. Let's do this. Come on, Democrats. They, they I mean, that's a that's a super depressing thing. Is like we get to this point and it's uh, it's up to the Democrats to call their bluff and exactly they just don't have the personnel yeah. to do it. No, I agree with that. Although uh, I wanted to get into that story about um, that uh, that story about uh, that uh, Greg Sargent wrote about um, Maxwell Foss. And also, we're seeing a little bit with uh, Biden. Maybe we'll talk about that in the front half hmm. uh, in terms of Social Security because it's driving them crazy. But there is a, a huge opportunity here. And if, and if Buttigieg both had the, the adeptness and I also think it's impossible for him, though. I mean, I think, like, there's just too much of an opportunity here for someone who was, like, you know, even, like, a, like a young Biden would, who was just a total cipher, right, would see this as a political opportunity. If Buttigieg wasn't yeah. so immersed, and I think he's just, like, you know... So he's I, bad at politics. Well, he's yeah. just bad at politics, and he's so in this corporate world. He has no sense of what Biden's a good politician, and he, I mean to a degree, right? Like he understands what regular people how they're going to respond. He's a neoliberal player. Uh, yeah, exactly. A ghoul like him has no sense. Well, it, it, it's amazing because you know uh, people have suggested that he's you know uh, Mayo Pete. The idea was that he's really sort of bland, and there's nothing that he believes in, and he's. He, I think he was considered a cipher. And uh, a cipher would see this as an opportunity. If you're, if you're gonna, if you want to run for president, you, you take hold of this opportunity and say we have a problem with our transportation because people can't stand flying mm-hmm. with good reason. Airlines are just—it's been uh, a crap show, and people don't have any real um, attachment to the freight train business other than making sure that it doesn't kill them or uh, destroy their city or whatnot. I mean, there's a big opportunity here. And the fact that he's not out ahead of this indicates to me that he can't eat. He is so steeped in that, in a culture where corporations must be protected in their interests, uber alles, that he can't, um, he can't even be self-serving about mm-hmm. it. It really is fascinating. Um, all right, we got to take a break. Head into the front half, folks. Just a reminder to your support that makes this show 
Alright, <clears throat> that is the majority report. But I agree. This would be an awesome opportunity for someone who wants to run for president. Uh, Ms. Harris, step up. Um, uh, what's his name from Texas? Damn, can't get his name. Governor from um, California. Gavin Newsom, step up. Step up and speak out. This is your spot to, hey, you have a plan, you run for president, this is where you step on the stage. Hey, Joe Biden, step on the stage. Tout the interest infrastructure bill, because all, all they're going to do is what? Bring up a culture war. That's all the Republicans are going to do. Protect corporations. Can't protect corporations all the time. All right, check out what they're doing. from New York, I'm Chris Hayes. When a party wins a new majority in Congress, generally what they want to do is hit the ground running. So far, the Republicans have not done that. After an interminable series of votes, historic in fact, House Republicans did finally elect Kevin McCarthy Speaker of the House, and earlier this month, credit were due, they did manage to kick Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar off the Foreign Affairs Committee for reasons they weren't really able to articulate. But apart from that, on issues of actual substance, they've got nothing to show for their majority. As the New York Times put it, somewhat diplomatically, six weeks into the majority, Republican leaders have found themselves paralyzed on some of the biggest issues they promised to address as they pressed to win control of the House last year. More simply, you might say Republicans are in disarray. And it really shouldn't be this hard. This is governing on easy mode. Because Republicans only control the House, while Democrats control the Senate and the White House. They don't even need to worry about passing something that could just become law. It's literally all just messaging bills. And they somehow can't even do that right. After running a midterm campaign on inflation and gas prices and crime, they've done nothing to even symbolically address those issues. Instead, they've turned Congress into the legislative branch of Fox News, holding these hearings about why their Twitter accounts were banned and promising to investigate why a TV provider dropped Newsmax. And yes, you can chalk a lot of this up to the personalities at issue, the kinds of people who uh, excel in modern Republican politics, the fractiousness, the MAGA caucus calling the shots in a narrow majority. But I, that doesn't explain it all. I, I actually think there's something much deeper at play. I have a theory here. And an illustration of that theory in action is all on display right now in the reaction to the train derailment disaster in Ohio. So, as you've likely heard, as uh, Medi covered on the program last night, train carrying chemicals, including a toxic flammable gas called vinyl chloride, derailed near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border earlier this month. That, in turn, started a fire, and then they had to do a, a sort of controlled release of some of those chemicals, which blanketed the town of East Palestine, Ohio, in noxious smoke. There are, as of today and continuing, really significant concerns about the accident leaving behind a lasting environmental disaster. And many residents of the town of East Palestine are complaining of health issues and, understandably, fearful about returning to their homes. Some living in the area are still smelling strong chemical odors. Now they're demanding transparency about what toxins might be lurking in local creeks in the atmosphere, how they could potentially impact the area in the future. The EPA says the village's water supply is safe. Residents are worried that homes with well water may be at risk. 
And residents say they want long-term testing with the results publicly posted. When journalists in the New Republic interviewed people on the ground, including a woman whose family donned N95 masks and gloves before entering their contaminated home, only to find, quote, after leaving her eyes burned and itched, her throat was sore, she had a rash, her husband and both her sisters had migraines. Another woman who lives by the accident site, quote, has suffered from a sore throat while an eight-month-old baby has suffered respiratory issues. Now, after enormous public pressure, Norfolk Southern, which is the rail company that operated the train that derailed, announced a new round of financial assistance to benefit the impacted community today. But it's pretty clear that a lot more needs to be done for the people of East Palestine. And this is where we come to what I think is the sort of fundamental failure of the Republican Party right now. Because Republicans have had a lot to say about the incident. They, they've been talking about a lot. They've mostly been trying to score political points at the expense of the Biden administration. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, current thought leader of the Republican Party, who voted against the bipartisan infrastructure bill last Congress, went on a somewhat bizarre Twitter rant where she seemed to blame pot-addled liberals for our crumbling institutions. Ohio Republican Senator J.D. Vance, fresh on the job, blamed the bipartisan infrastructure bill for not magically solving the problem of the train's derailment overnight. We've had hundreds of train derailments after we spent over a trillion dollars on infrastructure in this country. So the fact that this isn't getting obviously better is a major indictment of the people spending the money and what they're spending the money on. Now, that bill passed in November 2021. That was the appropriation for the money. It hasn't been spent, right? And we have not been able to fix entire nation's crumbling infrastructure in the intervening year, though it's not clear this was an infrastructure problem to begin with. Now, a number of Republicans have also come forward to blame Biden's high-profile transportation, transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, including Florida Congressman Byron Donalds. I don't even know why we take Pete Buttigieg seriously at this point. This man, the only reason he's in his job is because of his intersectionality. Let's just be honest about the situation. Um, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's actually been a terrible transportation secretary. I mean, look, when the supply chains were being blown up, the man wasn't even at work. Nobody missed him. Nobody knew, even knew he was there. He was on paternity leave when that happened because his child was born. Now, to be clear, Donald's is accusing Buttigieg of only getting his job because he's gay. It's a gross smear. But one right-wing podcaster took things a step further. Buttigieg is out talking about how workers are too white. For the last couple of years, I have been warning about this crusade against white people, and people shrug their shoulders and say, Oh, Charlie... Why does that matter? I can tell you why it matters. When there's a crisis now and the leaders hate working class whites, they're not going to scramble to save your life. They'll lie to you and tell you to go back home while you're poisoned. Oh, lie to you and tell you to go back home while you're poisoned? Sure, that's never happened to black people in this country before. Yeah. Let me just check on the history. No, definitely never happened. Okay. I'm cherry-picking particularly ludicrous examples, but this is what they do. I mean, there's a real thing that happened. Right? A very real thing. Real people, really impacted by a real disaster. Tangible thing. Whenever there's a problem or a crisis, folks on the right got some one or some group that's out to get you. And maybe it's the openly gay Secretary of Transportation or a fictional cabal of woke elites conspiring against white people. And, And I get it. Republicans think this is a very sound rhetorical and political strategy. And I get why they're worked up about this issue. East Palestine is a very white, rural, working class place. It's the kind of town Donald Trump and Fox News tell you has been forgotten by woke elites. And when they say it's been forgotten and left behind, they're not entirely wrong. There's a real nugget of truth there. 
it's also true that Pete Buttigieg is Secretary of Transportation, that he isn't the guy in charge of regulating the railroads. And legitimate good faith criticisms of his job performance, rather than his identity, are obviously completely fair game. When you're the administration, when you're the you know, presidency, this is the stuff you got to answer for. There's a major train derailment on your watch. Okay, so far so good. There's a real problem, right? People are judged really as a transportation secretary. But here's where all of a sudden it ends. Republicans can complain all they want, but what do you want to do? What do you want to do? They can't really offer any real solutions because in the end, this is a classic story about corporate interests and regulation. Big corporations like the railroad companies, Norfolk Southern, and the chemical companies, whose chemicals they transport, have every monetary incentive under shareholder capitalism to keep regulation light, right, so their costs stay low, and then, if something goes bad, they can externalize the costs of disasters like this. Right? The government, in turn, has a responsibility to push regulation anyway to prevent the burden of disasters like this falling on regular folks like those in the town of East Palestine. For liberals, like myself, this is all pretty uh, clear story. The solutions here are pretty clear. We should probably have better regulation and, and stronger worker power. Here's one example, right? For instance, there was an Obama-era train-breaking rule specifically for cars carrying flammable materials. They had to upgrade their braking. That was eliminated under Donald Trump, although he was eliminated with an assist from a small provision in a 2015 bill passed by Congress and, you know, signed by Obama that the train corporations had lobbied for that had kind of challenged and watered down the regulation. Now, in this case, it wasn't the breaking, we think. Uh, there was a fire on the train before it derailed. But again, that's the kind of prudential safety regulation you want to look at. Like, okay, maybe we need to upgrade safety regulatory standards on train cars like this. You can also make polluters pay for the cleanup costs of disasters caused by their products and services, like the Superfund site situation. Okay, again, these are just two straightforward answers, policy answers, that will make people's lives tangibly better, or at least address the problem. But here's the thing. Contemporary conservatives in the Republican Party can't offer those types of solutions. Can they say, you know what? We need to regulate the railroad companies. <laughs> no. Are they going to say that? Let's stick it to the greedy companies, soak the rich. They can't do that. That's what libs want to do. Conservatives are not ideologically disposed to those types of ambers. More importantly, the entire superstructure of Republican politics, including their donors, won't let them do it. No matter how much lip service they pay to regular working folks on their various podcasts, the Republican Party is fundamentally, fundamentally, when the chips are down, when it's time for the rubber to hit the road, when it's time to govern, beholden to the rich and corporate interests. And there are conservatives watching this right now who will see this clip who will agree with me. I promise you. Here's example number one. Kevin McCarthy, the new Speaker of the House, Republican, top Republican in the country, essentially letting his buddy, Jeff Miller, who's like a top corporate lobbyist, basically help run the party. The guy was like running the war room behind his speaker vote. And again, this isn't a question of rhetoric. It's not a question of like sound bites and all that stuff. Politics is about <laughs> interests and power and who the government helps and who it hurts and what it does. So what do Republicans really care about? There's a record here. What do they do when they had power? Well, they had a trifecta. They had the White House and the House and Senate. And they tried to repeal Obamacare. 
which, by the way, would have absolutely screwed over white working class voters. Their repeal plan. Even Tucker Carlson, the fake populist frozen food heir, called Trump out for it. This bill has, as one of its centerpieces, a tax cut for investors that would primarily benefit people making over $250,000 a year. Already done pretty well in the past 10 years, as you know. A Bloomberg analysis showed that counties that voted for you, middle class and working class counties, would do far less well under this bill than the counties that voted for Hillary, the more affluent counties. Seems like maybe this isn't consistent with the message of the last election. No, a lot of things aren't consistent. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. You ran on, we're going to screw over the global, we're going to go after the globalists and Hillary Clinton, the local leaks, and we're going to help you, but now you're passing a tax cut for rich people and screwing over the you in that? I don't get it. Yeah, you have just put your finger on the contradiction at the heart of it all. Now, Obamacare repeal failed. So Republicans then moved on to plan B. Again, what do you want to do with power? And it was... The biggest tax cut since Ronald Reagan. They slashed the corporate tax rate. That's what they want to do. That was about it. That was the extent of the governing agenda. That's the problem with the modern Republican Party. Who they are, who they claim to be for, are fundamentally at odds. Because it's true. Their base increasingly is rural working class voters. Folks who have real material needs, like the people in East Palestine who can't get into their home, that need to be met. But all they can offer them is culture war nonsense. The problem is your transportation secretary is gay. Because their corporate masters won't let them do anything to take on the big corporations or help workers or organize labor. And so what you get, you get a lot of tweets. You got a page on the House Republican website advertising all their members' various podcasts. You can listen to all their podcasts. Look at that. They've all got podcasts. Good for them. On those podcasts, they rail against the liberal elites. But what you do not get is any, any real solution for actual real people. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, those people in Ohio will vote Republican next election because someone told them to vote with the red not the blue they won't help the people that help them they'll just vote red because it's there I don't understand why they can show them they can show them they can show them that they're not for them they just want their vote and boom turn on them well some Democrats are like that, but black people held them to the fire, and they're doing stuff. Joe Biden actually did stuff for black people, so I can actually say that I would look forward for a second term to see what he can do with a bigger majority in the Senate and a even a slim majority in the House. He did it with four, and they, they passed the infrastructure bill. So this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Notley. Uh, the mission of the podcast is to bring common sense to the issues that affect you every day. Subscribe, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. Please, give us some kind of stars, because if I don't give any stars, I'll just agree that I am doing it perfectly. Uh, we are available on Spotify Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Pandora, 
Google Podcast, tune in. Yes, and we're still working on Apple. Uh, you can support the podcast either via Cash App or Zelda. Information is on the website in the bio of the podcast. All right, moving on. We can go on to uh, real time racism in Mississippi. Um, yes. Texas Paul is back. Check out what he did. Or what he says. Things is about to get real ugly in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm, I'm talking old school racist violence. Hear me out. This is going to take a brief explanation of white flight and what's going on, but the, the, the white racist legislature and governor Tate Reeves in Mississippi have just pulled a Jim Crow era attack on the city of Jackson, Mississippi, and it's going to be ugly, folks. It is going to be old school Bull Connor bullshit. So let me explain what's going on. And a shout out, before we start, a shout out to Mississippi today. They are a boots-on-the-ground news organization in Jackson, Mississippi that follows exactly what's going on in Mississippi. They've, they've shared images with us before. They are a great boots-on-the-ground news organization that follows these kinds of things. So please give them a follow if you can. The all-powerful Kia SUVs assembled in Georgia. What is happening in Jackson, Mississippi? The legislature has carved out a special judicial district inside Jackson, Mississippi. Chief of the Supreme Court there is going to appoint two judges that are going to be who the legislature wants. And they're going to be white and they're going to be Republican conservatives. They are. They're going to be people on board with this. They're not going to go appoint someone that doesn't approve of this kind of extra legal activity. They aren't. They're going to appoint somebody that's on board with this. To these two seats within this special judicial district they just created in Jackson, Mississippi. And they have created... A, uh, expanded the area around the capital to eat up a large chunk of Jackson, almost all of downtown Jackson. And they're now calling it the Capital District. They're, they're adding police officers, they're adding judges, they're creating courts, and they're going to cordon off downtown Jackson, essentially, and they're going to enforce the law as they see fit. Now, to understand the history behind this, you got to understand a little bit about white flight in Jackson, Mississippi. There are cities all over this country that suffer from white flight. You've probably heard that term before. If you don't know the practical effect of it, Jackson, Mississippi is a test tube, perfect laboratory example of what happens in white flight. When desegregation happened, and little white kids had to go to school with little black kids. And white people couldn't have their own fountains anymore. Now believe me, racism lasted much longer in Mississippi than it did in your states up north. So let me tell you, it did. When the, they were finally forced, not that long ago, 
to be completely segregated, white people ran from Jackson, Mississippi like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they just sold their houses and split. They left. Just dumping property values in Jackson, Mississippi. Dumping the tax base in Jackson, Mississippi. Because there are black people that live in Jackson, Mississippi, and if they couldn't oppress them and segregate them, they weren't going to live with them. That's the kind of people we're talking about. So, what happens to a city in that situation is you have all of the same infrastructure, the same number uh, of suburbs, the same number uh, of homes, the same number uh, of schools, everything, that you have to now support with a fraction of the tax revenue. So things decline. You have to, like anybody else, you have to make decisions. You have to pay some bills and not others. Some maintenance, not some other, not, not others. And these cities that are suffering from white flight degrade, which intensifies the white flight, destroys the property values, and makes it damn near impossible to manage. The fix for this is the state, and if it's too bad, the federal government has to step in with grants to revitalize the city to make it more attractive, and therefore increasing your tax base. We know, we know how to fix this the right way. Mississippi's racist-ass legislature will not do it. They will not work with Jackson, Mississippi. Why? The mayor's a Democrat named Chakwe Lumumba. They don't want to work with a Democrat and they're not going to work with a black man. They're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. They will let Jackson die before they help them out, before they do their jobs and help them out. That is what the reality of what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi is. And you can't say they didn't have the money to do it because they just did it but they did it giving themselves control. They just hired the police for this new district. They just hired the judges. They just established the courts. The money was there. But they weren't going to help Jackson pull itself up. Oh no. Oh no. That wasn't going to happen. N not with these racists. No way, no how. The right way would have been to help, to hold, you know, carrot and stick, hold the funding up and say, you've got to create more judicial districts and we'll give you the funding. We'll help you fix your water infrastructure. You, we'll help you fix your sewage infrastructure. We'll help you increase your property values. And everybody does better. No, 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 not Republican racist. You can't have everybody doing better. You can't do it the right way. You got to do it the hate way. The way they chose to do it. They're going to put their racist ass judges in place. They're going to cordon off a huge section of the city of, of Jackson and put their own police in charge. And every time something like this happens, we go back to the Bull Connor days. We go back to, you know, Beating people, shooting people, 
arresting people over bullshit, harassment. They're going to force gentrify downtown Jackson while continually continuing to screw all of the rest of Jackson, and they're doing it on purpose in daylight today. You know, this isn't last century racism, folks. This is what they teach in CRT. They teach you to identify this stuff. There's a reason Republican racists don't want you to, to, to hear or see anything about CRT because they're doing it today. So folks, I need you to help me keep an eye on what happens in Jackson, Mississippi. I need you to help me fight the abuses there. Watch. Hit the subscribe button. And stay with me here for a second because I, I know for a long time when I first started on social media, I never hit that subscribe button. I always thought that was going to lead to a problem or an annoyance later or whatever. I did not understand what it meant. If you don't understand, if you've been watching and don't hit the subscribe button on content you like, you're actually cheating yourself. Because no, you're not going to get texts and phone calls or any other shit like that. All it does is when you open this app, there'll be a little bell at the top, there'll be a little red dot, and if you push on it and you want to see more of what we got to say, you just click. That's all subscribing does. It lets you know when we got new stuff out there. So please, hit that subscribe button. It helps us out immensely. Helps us keep track of these racist bastards in Mississippi. It does. And if you think for one second that this isn't a... a, a uh, got to fight it from the street up. Problem. Read the comments, the number of whites that come into the, to this comment and say ignorant ass things about how the blacks just can't run Jackson. They can't. The Democrats can't run Jackson. When they intentionally create a situation where there is not enough funding to run a city of that size and will not do what everybody knows has to happen. They intentionally keep that city crippled. Then they will turn around and criticize the people that are doing their damnedest to make it work. So folks, again, please hit the subscribe button. And if you can, check out the guy's Patreon page. Check out the t-shirt you're about to be advertised. Or the mug, or whatever. Because we have no corporate sugar daddy when this gets sent off to my editor for editing it's, it's, it's that guy's gotta eat he does this full time help us out folks love you well Texas Paul out y'all have a wonderful day the best part of what thank you again Texas Paul rate review subscribe donate in the words of Texas Paul that's just sad that's what they do that's what CRT is. That's why they rail against CRT in Florida, even in Georgia, even in other states. They don't want you to know that the system is set up to hold down minorities. Okay. Remember when I said early in the show to Google Black Massacres in Google or Yahoo, whichever one you want? Okay, this year marks the 100 year anniversary of the Rosewood Massacre in Florida. 
January, the first week in January, the first to the seventh, the Rose Massacre was a racially motivated massacre of black people and the destruction of a black town that took place during the first week, 1923, in rural Levi County. Again, they are afraid of black black people uniting and actually making something of themselves. Had one in Chicago in 1990, Tulsa in 21, Memphis in 1886, Philadelphia in 1985, New York in 1863, Colfax, Louisiana, 1873. Socum, Texas, 1910. Vicksburg, Louisiana, in 1874. Yeah. In Charleston, in 2015. So, yeah, that was, um, that's that dude who who ran over people with that goddamn car. Fine. Will these people stop on the door? Okay. Um, is. Clarence Thomas and Uncle Tom? I think he is. He married a white woman and he doesn't like black people. Check it out. I'm proud uh, to present this legislation allowing a statue honoring United States Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to be placed on the state capitol. For too long, the Georgia state capitol has been home to statues and paintings of those who stood against our values and our democracy. And his wife also actively encouraged this of violence in an attempt to stop a peaceful transfer of power for the first time in our country's history. When we talk about a person of color that goes back historically to days of slavery and that person betraying his own community, we have a term in the black community. That term that we use is called uh, Uncle Tom. Justice Thomas has indeed lived up to some of the cautions that I presented in my first speech by rolling back judicial president in the pursuit of political objectives, despite having assured the, pub- assured the public in Congress on multiple occasions that he would adhere to, adhere, to, adhere to and respect precedent. Additionally, his wife is directly implicated in not only participating in the insurrection on January 6, 2021, this is not the type of shame we want to enshrine on Capitol grounds. At minimum, this bill should be tabled until such time that Judge uh, Justice Thomas and his wife are cleared of collaboration in this dark chapter in our history. But here at the Georgia State Capitol, statues and monuments have stood for decades, some mere steps from this chamber. Monuments whose memories of insurrection and national betrayal were or continue to be honored alongside those who gave the last full measure of devotion to preserve America and protect our democratic society. 21 names, 21 Confederates who betrayed our country have been honored at the state capitol. And I believe today, if we choose to pass this bill and honor Associate Justice Clarence Thomas in this way, we may be making that mistake once more. So when we think about a person in the black community who's accomplished, but yet policies seek to subvert some may even say suppress the achievements and accomplishments of people of color. I couldn't help but to think about that term in expressing my dissatisfaction with this particular legislation. And I don't expect 
people of non-color to get the sensitivity that we feel about a person of color whose policies and practices and decisions and votes that we've rallied and fought against. But it's not just about people of color. Uh, Justice Thomas' decisions have certainly sparked outrage against women, and not just women of color, but all women. And certainly when we look at the LGBTQ plus community, certainly his votes and positions he's taken has raised outrage in that community as well. He even said, and I have, if anyone want to fact check me, by the way, some of his famous quotes, and I wouldn't say quotes, but some of his famous positions. And let me just kind of share with you what some of those positions are. He said, job discrimination rules don't apply to transgender status. I said they should. He said, anti-gay marriage laws, not the same as miscegenation, which I don't know why. He went on to say affirmative action forever discounts black achievements. I don't know too many people of color in this body that haven't benefited from affirmative action. And I'm not talking about action where you give somebody a, a handout. But certainly all of us at some times in our lives even need a hand up. I'm proud. Yes, he's an Uncle Tom. No way past it, no way through it, none of that. He is an Uncle Tom. Absolutely, positively, he is an Uncle Tom. How can you vote against... I know you don't like... What? His white, his wife, and he votes against everybody. So, he's an Uncle Tom. Um... Our last story tonight is why can't minorities and black people have anything? Check it out. Apart from that often explosive nexus between the personal and the political, it involves hair, specifically the hairstyles of young African Americans and the controversial decision made by one school district that fed into a heated national debate. Here's ABC's Deborah Roberts. As 15-year-old Ashanti Scott knows, hair can say so much about us. A cheerleader at Butler High in Louisville, Kentucky, she proudly wears hers in its natural, tightly curled state. So she was stunned this year when she saw her school's new dress code policy. It was the hair, and I noticed that as you kept reading, it just added more and more hairstyles that were natural and mostly worn by black people. Did it feel personal to you? It felt very personal to me because I've worn those hairstyles. It was almost like an attack on me and who I am and my culture. Ashanti and mom Attica soon became part of a hot national debate around the country about perceptions involving natural hair. What offended the Scots is this line in the new policy, banning dreadlocks, twists, afros longer than two inches, and cornrows, which is even misspelled. Attica, an outspoken and newly elected Kentucky state legislator, immediately called her daughter's school. But it was after hours, so she did what many of us do when frustrated, turn to social media. On Twitter, she wrote, so my daughter had registration today, 
and let's just say she's not happy about the JCPS no natural hair policy. The tweet going viral within minutes. Now why not wait till the next day and call the school and try to sort it out that way? Because it was fresh, it was on my mind, and I knew I had the rest of the night to connect to other people who may also have some concerns about the policy as well. And she did. Soon, hundreds of responses, many from parents posting photos of their own children with hairdos that would violate the policy. So I talk to my girlfriends about natural hair. We literally talk about natural hair every single day. The tweet first striking a nerve here in Louisville. I thought about coming to work several times with it out, but I've always decided against it. Would it be too much? But really, what is too much? That same question at the center of a growing conversation about self-identity, with more and more African Americans choosing to embrace their God-given hair. The natural hair movement is more than hair. It is a lifestyle. It is learning to be comfortable in the skin that you're in. Nikki Wanton, an author and blogger on natural hair, recalls growing up feeling that straight hair was more acceptable than curly or kinky hair. Everything that I saw growing up, magazines, television, movies, people on the street, like people on the runway, all you saw was straight hair, long straight hair, even women that look like me had long, flowing, straight hair. And I knew that whenever my hair got wet, it didn't look like that. Oh, y'all haters going with that Illuminati mess. But today, natural hair has gone mainstream. From Beyonce to Sesame Street. My hair looks good in a just look at the celebrities rocking their natural hair on magazine covers and even on the red carpet. For the last 50 years, I've been told that we were not good enough with the way our hair naturally grows from our scalp, the way our skin looks, our features, our lips, our butts, our hips, our everything. Not acceptable, you know, and to be able to reclaim that and take that back um, and say, you know what, I am beautiful, I'm gorgeous, and I don't need to change anything about myself. That's powerful. A perception this father and daughter duo are embracing big time. When I take photos, I feel like a princess. One Instagram photo at a time. Artist Benny Harlem and his six-year-old daughter Jackson have become a social media sensation. Grow your hair, be phenomenal, be fabulous, be exactly who you are. Celebrating their crowns, as Benny calls them. This is not about photos. This is not about images. It's about inspiring people to believe in themselves. And for him, teaching his daughter to be proud of where she comes from. We should all love where our roots come from. Whether it's straight, long, kinky, or not. You know what I mean? Whether it's that, or it goes down to where her hair goes. It's gorgeous. A message thought revolutionary back in the 60s during the Black Power Movement even perceived as a political statement. Oh, you have the prettiest hair in the world. Just ask hairstylist Isis Brantley. I go, Wally, Wally. She recently hosted a rally in Dallas. African children are under attack. Their hair is being told that it is unprofessional, untidy, unkempt. But her argument may have been lost with a controversial guest, Rachel Dolezal. 
a white woman who made headlines claiming she identifies as black. I just said, you know, this is a justice issue. As an educator, I have a responsibility to participate in the movement. Though Dolezal, a hair braider, fully supports the natural hair movement, apparently many don't support her. Instead of the usual hundreds who might turn out, close to a dozen turned out for the event. But braids were never meant to cause controversy back in Louisville, Kentucky, says William Allen, principal at Butler High. We're about kids here at this school, so... He says the ban on natural hairstyles was all a big misunderstanding. The language for braids has always been um, in, our, in our dress code. Um, it's strictly for male students. There's never been any restrictions for our female students. Doesn't a policy like that inherently single out black kids? All of our policies are for all of our students. Um, it gave us a chance to take a step back and look at um, culture versus style um, and look at specific, um, specific instances that we have in our dress code policy that might relate to, uh, to a specific group. Just after Attica Scott's tweet, the school quickly called a meeting. Today... I'm proposing that we immediately suspend our section of the dress code policy about students' hair. Suspending the policy, but igniting more anger. I would love to hear from the students first. They have affected us as an African, um, African-American community. Instead of making assumptions, y'all should have asked. But one black member of the decision board, Sharice Baldwin Trainum, mom of a 15-year-old daughter at Butler, says the policy was simply about neat grooming, not offending a culture. I know it sounds crazy, you know, standing here with African American woman with rights. I was not offended. It doesn't mean that I don't understand the offense. She hopes future issues can be resolved before going on social media. I don't want to live in a world where everywhere I go, I have to see everything as black and white. I don't want to raise my kids like that, but I will teach them to stand up for what is right. I applaud her for seeing an issue and standing up for it. But I think that we have to be very careful about how we address these issues because it affects our children. It's not about intent, it's about how it landed. And the way that it landed for me and my daughter and other students and other parents is that it was offensive and it was discriminatory. But you've got a principal who's black, you've got a couple of parents on the actual council who are black. Yes. So do you really think that they were out to discriminate against black students? Just because you're black doesn't mean you're not feeding into the system. I work at places often where there's still issues of race. I've worked at universities where there have been issues of race. That doesn't end just because I work there and I'm black. Butler has since changed its dress policy to say that hair must be well-groomed, well-kept, and at a reasonable length. A positive outcome, say Ashanti and Attica Scott, and hopefully a lesson, they say, that will resonate beyond the classroom. It's not about one school. It's about the public school system and the way that it's policing kids who are trying to get an education. They just want to come and learn. For Nightline, I'm Deborah Roberts in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, just a couple of words. Somebody wanted to offend them. I don't know why. They just wanted to. They just wanted to. They just wanted to go ahead and do that just because they wanted to do that also. Okay, let's go to Texas Pete one more time. Check it out. Joe Biden snatches the immigration 
subject away from Republicans and they react as horrifically as you'd expect them to. Let's talk about it. On Ron DeSantis, I got together with the legislature in Florida, the Republicans in the legislature, the right-wing racists, and uh, decided that uh, their reaction to losing the immigration topic, because, you know, if you remember, during the State of the Union, Joe Biden reminded everybody that all of these successes that these governors, like my governor Abbott, and, and, and along the southern border, and, and, and things that Ron DeSantis is talking about, um, those, those were done by Joe Biden. Those were done by Joe Biden. Let's also come together on immigration. Make it a bipartisan issue once again. At least pass my plan to provide the equipment and officers to secure the border. Fentanyl is killing more than 70,000 Americans a year. You got it. So let's launch a major surge to stop fentanyl production and the sale and trafficking with more drug detection machines, inspection cargo, stop pills and powder at the border. It was technology and intelligence and and good governing that actually caused those successes to happen. We, we, we've got about 100 people on the terrorism watch list. Uh, just to remind you, we've we seized almost 30,000 pounds of fentanyl coming across. Those are all federal agents that have done that. Greg Abbott and local law enforcement has nothing to do with that. Nothing at all. This was all federal. Customs and Border Patrol agents, no matter how much uh, Greg Abbott likes to take photo ops with them and, and pretend that they're his agents, they aren't. They're federal agents. They, they work for Joe Biden. And they're doing their job. I mean, just the everyday sausage of, you know, grinding out the sausage of government. They're doing their job. But upon losing that whole, oh, we got a border crisis bullshit, which there is no crisis at the border, um, Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature responded by creating an entire department uh, that is dedicated to shipping immigrants from other states because Florida does not have an immigration problem. It doesn't. They're, they're, I don't know if you noticed, but you know, their border is the Atlantic Ocean and, and American states. They have, they're not a border state. But DeSantis desperately wants to get in on this because Republicans really love this spectacle. Republican voters really love this spectacle. Republican voters aren't into government actually doing its job. They, they want to own the libs. And they think that doing this is owning the libs. They think for some reason that they're, they're doing something to us when they do something horrible like, like lie to people, tell them that they're going someplace for something that they're not and that their job's waiting for them when they are not. And, you know, just lie to them about their destinations. And it's just... You know, right-wingers love that stuff uh, because they're just not good people. 
They're just not good people. They're, they don't want a government that's there to govern. Uh, they don't even understand that a government is there to govern and, and, and do things on a daily basis. They think that government is soap opera or, or, or some sort of game where, you know, gotcha game where we get each other. You know, they don't understand that what Ron DeSantis has done here by basically having the legislature give him a, a blank check to go into other states. Now, they were not talking about Florida, you know, immigrants into Florida. We're talking about he's going to come to Texas and pay to ship immigrants in Texas to Democratic states. Um, and, and like I said, the legislature just giving them a blank check to do it. They're going to waste Florida taxpayer money going into other states. The, the reason for that isn't because it actually serves a purpose because, you know, here in Texas, you know, Greg Abbott has effectively thrown his hands up. He said, I can't do this. I can't run this situation. I can't govern. And, and started this nonsense of busing people out of the state. Instead of doing what should have happened, which is to say, okay, look, um, we're overwhelmed here. We're not able to, to deal with this very well. Uh, what can you do to help us? Which is what is supposed to happen. You're supposed to, when a state is overwhelmed, you go to the next level of government, which is the federal government. And you, you say, hey, come in here and help us. But, but you know, Republicans, they, that, that would mean working with a Democrat. And, and they would rather fail and hurt people and have this miserable spectacle than they would actually do their job because the government, you know, Republicans are not a governing party. They're not. They were a long time ago an opposition party. Uh, but as far as governing in the day-to-day -day operation of government, they, they, they simply can't do it. They can't do it. And, and this latest thing from DeSantis is just an open admission to that. It's literally they're throwing their hands up and saying what we've known all along, that the Republicans along our southern border you know, in, in the south, and in the South are really useless. They're really useless. They're useless uh, governing a border state. They just can't do the job. And, and their answer is, again, a spectacle, because all you hear about from them is the wall, the wall, the wall. Well, folks, the wall never arrested an illegal immigrant. The wall never seized an ounce of fentanyl. The wall never, anything. The only thing the wall ever did, ever, is right around the cities along the border, it cuts down on petty crime. You know, bacons in cars and, and, and petty theft and, and shoplifting and stuff like that. It, it, that's what it's good for. And if they were wanting to build walls in that area, then Democrats would be glad to fund that. You know, and then cut down on petty crime. Okay, great. But actual immigration reform, Republicans can't do. Because they've married themselves to this stupid talking point of a wall that doesn't work, hasn't worked for centuries. It, it's ineffective and does not work. You know, building a wall on the border is the least efficient, useless thing you could do. Look at Joe Biden's speech in the State of the Union. Everything he talked about was technology-based. 
because these seizures are happening at ports of entry. They are American citizens buying these drugs and mewling them across and getting caught by trained federal customs and border patrol agents, trained customs agents, and technology. The, the, the technology they use to scan vehicles, the, the, the intelligence they gather before the vehicles reach the border, that's all what Joe Biden wants to do. And he has a bill. Chuck Schumer has a bill on his desk today. If they really wanted to solve the immigration issue, if they really wanted to solve, you know, help improve the job that Biden's already doing, seizing these drugs and, 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 and stemming illegal immigration if they really wanted to, to fix that there's a bill ready to go Democrats would work with them today but that means that they would have to work with Democrats to actually get something done and they can't do that that's not what Republicans do they are you know th these TV spectacles, these things that the corporate news media really loves, man, because they think us looking at them abusing people and saying, you can't do that, man, that's not right, you can't do that, and then us taking up the slack on that because these people actually do get processed in, put on a path to citizen, citizenship, they're, they're given work permits, they're stabilized, and, and they're moved into our society, you know? We're doing what these border governors are supposed to be doing. Because they're not. And this move by Ron DeSantis is just a declaration of that. They cannot do the job. They cannot be border governors. So we're going to do what we always do as Democrats. We're going to put our heads down and we're going to do the work. We're just going to pretend like they're not there. That that, that 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 border is not the border. The border is on the other side of these states and that we will process them as they come across into our blue states is how we're going to handle this. Because, like I said, you know, Republican voters keep saying, why do you think you're better than us? Well, this is why. Quit wanting this gotcha. There's no even Stephen to it. Just elect people that will run the border elect people that will do the job not pander to your worst instincts as a human being which is what Ron DeSantis is doing here he's literally using just like Greg Abbott did here in the state of Texas with Operation Lone Star that did nothing but print out what federal agencies were doing and claim credit for it he spent five billion dollars putting people in place to do nothing it was all Joe and federal agents that did it all. And they would print out weekly, you know, press releases saying, oh, this got done, like, they did it. And they didn't. It was the federal government that did it. Ron DeSantis is doing the same thing. He is wasting billions of dollars of Florida money, which is what this will amount to, for his presidential campaign. That's what Greg Abbott did here in Texas. He spent $5 billion plus, still ticking, still counting, on his last re-election campaign. And he thinks he's got a shot somehow in the mix running for president, either as vice president or top of the ticket. He thinks he's going to run for that. 
So he's still wasting Texas taxpayer money on these programs. That's what Ron DeSantis is saying. I got to get me some of that. I got to get me some of that. This is all his presidential campaign. And Republican voters are okay with that because they think his job is to run for office. They think his job is to try to like get us. And you know, no, they're not getting us. <laughs> it's, it's nothing. We're just going to do the job that he can't do because we're used to doing the job that Republicans can't do. So yeah, if you're in Florida, congratulations. Your schools aren't getting it. Your highways aren't getting it. Your ports aren't getting it. Nothing is going to get done with that money except wasted on Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign. Congratulations. Hit the subscribe button, folks. Help us out. We're damn near to a million subscribers. Tell your friends. Get somebody to come in take a look at our videos. If they like them, have them subscribe. Love you, folks. So text Paul out. Have a wonderful day. The best part of waking up. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the great Ron DeSantis. And he is running for president and he's fucking up the state of Florida. Now said, it's Black History Month. 17 untold black history facts wasn't taught in school. Check it out. Seventeen unforgettable black history facts they should have taught in school. Here's what we learned. A black woman invented the sanitary belt. Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner was quite the inventor at an early age, but her most innovative creation was the sanitary belt. Because of Mary's skin color, an interested manufacturing company failed to market her product, and the great invention wasn't used until 1956, 30 years after its creation. In 1951, Henrietta Lacks' cancer cells led to major discoveries in medical research. There was a novel, and later a movie starring Oprah Winfrey as Henrietta's daughter, called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which explained how Henrietta's Heller cells have contributed to medical research. The tragedy is that her family didn't know about any of this until 1975. Scientists were making all these discoveries and making a profit from her cells, while her own children were living in poverty. Dorothy Dandridge was the first African-American to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. The singer and actress was acknowledged for her performance in the 1954 film Carmen Jones. The first successful open heart surgery was performed in 1893 by a black surgeon named Dr. Daniel Hale Williams. He also founded the first hospital that employed black healthcare workers. John Rock was the first African-American Supreme Court lawyer. He did so February 1, 1865. Before this day, John Rock was a doctor but was so ill that he had to give up practicing medicine and became a lawyer instead. My mind
change was blown because we hear about Dred Scott v. Sanford, where black people were not considered American citizens, but you didn't need to be a citizen to practice law in the Supreme Court. It's sad this is not learned in school. Thelonious Monk was one of the greatest jazz composers and a strong leader in the jazz revolution. I discovered his music years later. If you have not listened to his music, find Big Band and Quartet in Concert online. Betty Boop was based on a black woman. Betty Boop was inspired by the black jazz singer Esther Jones, commonly known as Baby Esther in Harlem's Cotton Club. Her signature singing style was stolen by Helen Kane and adapted by the cartoonist Max Fleischer. Musarai of Mali is considered the richest man in history. Students should learn more about the king of the Mali Empire. It's been said that there's really no way to put an accurate number on his wealth, but I'm sure Jeff Bezos only wishes he had that kind of dough. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, 17 facts that you were not aware of. Hold on. That wasn't 17. Mary Jackson and Dorothy Vaughan were the women behind the NASA space race. I had no clue about all the black women behind the space race in the 60s until I saw the movie Hidden Figures. Katherine Johnson, Mary Jackson, Dorothy Vaughan, and all the ladies who worked as the computers served as the brains behind launching John Glenn, the first successful American astronaut to orbit Earth. I would have loved to learn about them in school. A black transgender woman named Marsha P. Johnson helped lead the Stonewall Uprising. Also known as the Mayor of Christopher Street, Marsha was a visible figure in the gay civil rights movement, yet was completely left out of the 2015 movie Stonewall. She remained on the front line of the protest, advocating for universal gay rights. Bayard Rustin was an openly gay civil rights activist. Bayard Rustin was a social rights activist who helped install various organizations like the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Martin Luther King Jr. and the 1947 Freedom Ride. He was the head of the 1963 March on Washington and helped fight for civil, social, and gay rights. Henry Box Brown escaped to freedom at the age of 33. He shipped himself from Virginia to Philadelphia so that he could be free. I absolutely love that story and how determined he was to be a free man. Ida B. Wells led a movement against lynchings in the 1890s through her informative essays and brave activism. This was a huge deal not only for an African American but for a woman as well. For some reason I never knew about her until college, which is just sad. The Harlem Hellfighters spent 191 days in the trenches during World War I, more than any other American unit. I wish I had learned about the Harlem Hellfighters, the 369th Infantry Regiment that fought in World War I. They were awarded the French Croix de Guerre for their bravery. One of the most notable Harlem Hellfighters to me is Henry Johnson, who fought off soldiers on the front line with a knife in his bare hands. 
1921, Black Wall Street was a thriving community of black businesses. I didn't learn about Black Wall Street until I saw Watchmen. In the Greenwood district of Tulsa, Oklahoma, were a great number of successful black establishments, that is, until the Tulsa race massacre occurred, destroying the community. That's definitely something that should have been taught in schools, not only because of the tragic loss but also because of how successful black people were in Tulsa during that time in history. The youth of Birmingham, Alabama, led a non-violent children's crusade in 1963. I grew up knowing civil rights was important, but my classmates and I rarely saw anything about young people playing a part in the civil rights movement. Knowing kids our age went out to protest and succeeded would have been super inspiring. And finally, Martin Luther King Jr. was not the first African-American to win the Nobel Peace Prize. That honor goes to Ralph Bunch, the political scientist and U.S. diplomat from Detroit. He received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1950 for his efforts with resolving the Arab-Israeli conflict. Subscribe to my channel now. And that was 17 unknown facts that was not taught in school. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, unfollow, refollow, tell a friend to tell a friend. We're available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn. And we're still working on Apple. Our mission is to bring common sense to the issues that you're facing each day. Please, tell a friend to tell a friend. Thank you, and good night.